Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14 all the way down to 21, and I'll be reading out of the Common English Bible. Peter stood with the other 11 apostles. He raised his voice and declared, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem, know this. Listen carefully to my words. These people aren't drunk, as you suspect. After all, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Actually, it is pretty close to 9 right now. Rather, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams. Even upon my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders to occur in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be changed into darkness, and the moon will be changed into blood before the great and spectacular day of the Lord comes. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it sounds like God has big plans and has for thousands of years. Exactly how we'll fit into those plans may today help us figure that out and see it anew and afresh. Please pray with me. God, we know you are here. You know we're here. Help us with every breath. Breathe your love and redemption in more deeply. And exhale all that would stand between us and the life you have for us. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So what if belonging to God was clearer and simpler to grasp than we make it out to be? No, really. What if belonging to God was clearer and and simpler to grasp than we make it out to be? We intend to spend the next eight weeks or so asking or answering really this question because I don't mean to say that following Jesus is easy. No, I think we've had too much of that because we have less than we used to have, but we still have a lot of people that seem to understand following Jesus as go to church and make a decision for Christ. I mean, last week's scripture included this wonderful familiar verse, probably, I'm going to say, the most familiar, most memorized verse in all of scriptures that passage at the end of the the john 3 section where jesus said god so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believed in him would have eternal life and he went on to say that he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the whole that the world might be saved through him everyone god's plan and you hear it reaffirmed in today's reading in acts 2 god's plan is for everyone Yet we make it so hard to believe. The formula in John 3 is believe in Jesus, you won't perish. You will have eternal life. 
is it really that simple? It is that simple. But it's not necessarily easy. So why do we make it so hard? Why in every church I serve, and this being June, marks 32 years of pastoral ministry, in every church I serve, there are people, good, faithful people, who from time to time have sincere, deep, concern over their relationship with God as though they aren't sure of this simple formula believe in Jesus not perish have eternal life here's why it's so hard for us ever since my dad died in 2013 I've been helping my mom um, at tax time uh, collect all of her forms and then connect her with H&R Block. No, I, don't, I help her with her taxes by taking her to a tax service. So um, we had an issue this year. We thought we had it all done mid-March and we found out there's this one form that we didn't have. And so I called them. And of course they couldn't talk to me because I'm not my mom. So I since I live 45 minutes from her now, I, I make my phone do a conference call. Did you know you could do that pretty easily? I know, I'm still learning about this technology stuff. So I, I, I conference call my mom in, and they start to quiz her to make sure she is who she says she is. And the way the form the quiz took was, we'll ask you questions until you get one wrong, and then we can't talk to you. So they proved their point. So I had no choice but to drive to Bedford, Coached my mom a little bit, called them back, found this super helpful customer service representative. You've met them. There's one. And this time, I thought we got where we needed to go. Turns out, they still had her old address, where she hadn't lived in three and a half years. Anyway, the guy tells us, this super helpful CSR says, the best way, the fastest way for you to get this form is for you to fax a letter from your mom with her signature, with the account number, and he gave us the account number, and make the request, put in the new address, and fax it to us. And I'm a little hesitant when the best answer includes fax something. But he assured us that was the best way. So I went home and faxed it the next day, and because I'm apparently a Luddite on faxing, I called the day after that and said, hey, did you get my fax? I just don't trust faxes. And they said, well, um, we won't know that for three to five business days. So I put a mark on my calendar. Three to five business days, I called them, and they said, well, this isn't the department that receives faxes, so you'll have to check back later. Well, I didn't put it in my calendar, so it's two weeks past. I call them again, and they can't tell me, of course, if they've received my mom's change of address. So I call them again, and I get, apparently there are two quality customer service representatives in the world. And I got the other one. Her name's Teresa. And she said, yes, I can confirm that we have, your mo we have received the facts because when they hadn't received the facts, I faxed it again twice and then copied it and put it in the mail to them. Yes, we have received the change of address, but I can't confirm that we've changed the address and thus sent the form. 
and Teresa is treating me exceptionally well. So I say, okay, what do we do next? She said, I will call you back. Is anybody but me skeptical when somebody in CSR says, I'll call you back? Teresa called me back first thing the next morning, and she said, listen, if you can just send us um, legal proof that you are your mom's executor, then we can send it to you. And I informed her, my mom's not dead. She doesn't need an executor, which really seemed to blow a gasket in their whole company form. So she calls me back again and confirms that, or says, that my mom's signature on the letter that we faxed three times and mailed once, they can't confirm that's her signature because they don't have her signature already on file. And so I, summoning all the strength I can to maintain the kind of presence that I could still invite her to church after this conversation, say, what are we supposed to do about that? And so we talk about some things, and in the meantime, this is how good Teresa is. She herself found uh, my mom's signature on a previous record. See, it turns out this organization had changed banks in the last two years. My mom had not communicated with them in more than two years. So my mom didn't know. Apparently, you should communicate with every financial um, company you have anything to do with at least yearly in case they change banks because then they lose your records if you don't. But Teresa was working hard for us and found my mom's signature and confirmed it. And now it's done. We should have the form in just seven to ten business days. Which I put on my calendar on the phone. So I call again in seven to ten business days. I think I gave them ten because they've kind of established they're not going to do things fast here. And I'm not going to trust this until my mom has this form in her hands. Except the ninth business day was what I lovingly call Freak Out Friday. It was Friday the, let's see, 14th of May. When all of a sudden I realized, whoa, tax day is Monday the 17th. I need this information now. So I call them back and get my mom on the conference call again. And the call drops when I try to connect the conference call. But I had given this CSR person my number, and she assured me she'd call me back if the call dropped. So I wait three minutes, and I timed it because this was among the most impatient three minutes I've ever spent, and nothing. So I call her back, and she apologizes very, very graciously that as soon as our call dropped, she had another call, and she had to take that. That's her job. So I'm thinking, I don't know you well enough to think you're lying. So, okay. So, I tried again to get mom on the phone. Mission accomplished. I got her identity confirmed. Now, we just have to wait for the information to show up on the agent's computer. And it's taking long enough that I'm imagining the, the pneumatic tubes that they use in drive through banks because the information is not coming online because it always works faster than that. Or maybe I should hear the dial-up modem in the background. It's taken a while, but she's polite. We're having a conversation. It's easy to get my mom started on a story. Not blaming you, mom. It was a good way to pass the time. But in the meantime, this agent, we're seven weeks in, tells us, by the way, your mother's account was closed on February 11th, and we mailed her the final check. 
to the old address. We did get the form. We're still working on having them send us, send my mom a check to the current address. It, it actually, it takes me back to when I served the church in Abbott. I was for four years Willie Nelson's pastor. I don't know if you knew that. Willie didn't come to church while I was there. But I was technically and officially his pastor. So while I was in Abbott, the, the young couple, the, this church called the young couple because they had just retired and moved to town, he had been there long enough to become uh, the Republican precinct chair in, in that part of Hill County. And he shared with me about this tax time because you know there's a myth that the tax code of the u.s is 67,000 pages long it's not it's under 3,000 but there's an additional 64,000 pages to explain it i'm not sure what difference that makes but this guy republican party precinct chair and uh, i don't have to explain this much of the differences between the parties do i tax time a year he comes to church one morning and he says, you know, I wouldn't even mind paying as much taxes as I pay if I just knew for sure that the forms were right. They're, that they just don't have rest in certainty of their standing before God. Now, honestly, this makes you a Wesleyan Methodist because John Wesley exhibited the same exact lack of assurance until he was 35 years old. Now, by the time he was 35, he had finished school at Oxford, come back to Oxford to be a tutor, gone to Georgia to be a missionary. Now, his way to Georgia to be a missionary, there was this storm on the ship because all the planes were booked. And so he was on a ship, and there was this storm that was so violent that even the crew that was used to sailing the Atlantic were cowered on the corners of the deck in fear for their life. But there was this group of Christians known as Moravians who were in the middle of the deck having a worship service, lifting their voices in praise before God because to them, they were so comfortable in their assurance of their relationship with God that if the ship didn't make it, they were okay. Well, Wesley remembered that because he went on to Georgia and long story short, didn't have a really good time there so he said in his journal on his way home i went to georgia to convert the savages and i come back from georgia in need of conversion myself and he's not home very long in england before he remembers that storm and the moravians and so he finds some moravians in london because he wants to know what they know. He wants to have the kind of resolve in his, in his sense of God's presence and on, on, on Christ's redeeming work in his life. He wants to have the blessed assurance that Jesus is his. And all the foretaste of glory divine that that comes with. So he found the Moravians and went with the Moravians to a meeting in a house on Aldersgate Street and said, wrote there in his journal, in the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society on Aldersgate Street where one was reading from Luther's preface to the Epistle on the Romans. I thought about getting Luther's preface to the Epistle of the Romans out and reading some of it to you. 
maybe we'll do that next time. Let Wesley continues, about a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change that God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. We make a lot of the experience that Wesley had there on Aldersgate Street on May 24th, 1938. But here's the most important thing I want you to know about that experience. He never referred to it again. He didn't feel the need to hang on to that experience and share it with everybody. They should have that same experience. But from that point on, there's no evidence that he doubted his assurance of salvation. He went on to continue the kinds of works that he had done without the assurance, but now with the firm resolve that nothing that he did affected his relationship with God because that was secure based on God's character. He had the assurance of salvation, of his relationship with God through Christ, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. I believe God wants us, that God wants you to have that same assurance that Wesley received that night on Aldersgate Street. To trust in Christ, Christ alone for your salvation. So we're going to spend the next weeks, the next eight weeks, offering opportunities and this focus on us receiving the assurance that Christ has taken away your sins, even yours, and has saved you from the law of sin and death.